welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is Inception, directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Totally butchered Leo's name, but you know, it's all good. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom and Juzo Greenwood. How are you guys doing? Isaac, what's up? Yeah, um, I'm not, I, <laughs> I'm doing okay, actually. You're just, just like a weird with your audio controls or something over there. Yeah, it's a on? weird, it's a weird Monday. I didn't know how to like explain this, but um, I guess I'm gonna get just real personal right off the bat. I've been having this experience where I wake up extremely panicked, and then now it's having me like concerned. Where I'm Is like, it like Am night I... terrors or something. I don't know. Like I'm not having a nightmare, but it's like a fear of sleeping in. It's something I've like never oh. gotten over, and I also have been like. A, like anxiety ridden waking up like oh my gosh i overslept i look at my phone and it's like 6 a.m like way earlier than i need to be up yeah and then i'll kind of doze off and like freak out again and in relation to this movie inception i thought it was hilarious after we watched this movie I, the next <laughs> night i panic woke up and there was a plot line that was going on in my dream with a certain character and i was like oh my gosh i woke i panic woke up and i was like oh i don't have to get up yet so i fell back asleep and then it was a different environment and a different place in a new dream, but the characters carried over and they started quoting Inception being like, you know why I'm here. You were trained for this. And I was like, what kind of, what kind of joke is this? You know, like wow. this movie's poisoned my panic wake ups. I don't know if you guys have that. I dream like very aggressively when I'm, you know, constantly waking up every 20 minutes and experiencing whatever the heck's going on in my mind. No, um, I definitely but, get that with, um, well, when when there's something really important that I need to do the next day that's like really early or something, um, whenever I'm like, you know, whenever I have like a 6 a.m. call time or something. Oh, yeah. Then, oh, yeah. Then I freak out and I can't. I It's more that I can't fall asleep. Um, but yeah, no. I'm Juzo, you don't have that at all because uh, you just sleep till all, all hours of the day, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> or stay up until 4 a.m. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I don't. How, let's hear. Let's hear how Juzo's doing. <laughs> <laughs> probably better than me you know well i don't I'm, it's funny you mentioned you dreaming about I, I don't think i've ever had an inception dream which is a real shame because i'm sure i always wanted to after i saw it when you say you, you dreamt about a character did you mean a character from the movie or is that just how you refer to the denizens of your subconscious Juliana's blending something, so I was trying to mute it, but oh. <laughs> you threw them. <laughs> Sorry, um, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay, it's totally my fault. No, I had that guy. Uh, what's his? I can't pronounce his name. Silly Murphy. Mm-hmm. It was oh, like Fisher. he was in my dream. Uh, oh, okay. But he was also talking to me about, you know, like whatever your, your mind, yeah, your mind being like invaded or whatever on one side or the other, but. <laughs> yeah, I, see. I don't know. Isaac never recreate things from memory. Okay, you have to you have to invent new things. Well, that's that is not called lucid dreaming, right? So, like, that's what was weird is that the second dream, I was then aware that I was dreaming, right? Yeah, that's lucid. And a, dreaming. and a lot of people try to like get to that state, and so that was kind of weird. And then still waking up, being like, "Oh my gosh, I overslept." Because I was so entertained by that second dream. Mm. And oh, it's only been 20 minutes. So yeah, I don't know if I need to go to therapy or what's wrong with me. I have no idea. But Well, anyways, Juzo, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I mean, uh, good enough, I suppose. I mean, I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying... This is a pretty nice summer of movies. And uh, we were talking about some of them last time I was on. Um, but 
Should I talk about some of the stuff I've been watching? About Should I talk about Mission Impossible? I don't know. Yeah, do it. Um, I have not seen Mission Impossible yet, but hopefully I will be able to sometime this week. But um, Yeah, we've gotten in quick succession, really. Wes Anderson's Asteroid yeah. City, Indiana Jones, which I'm still stumping for, and um, Mission Impossible. Was it Mission Impossible? Dead Reckoning Part 1. Um yeah, it's it's great. It's a little bit weirder than the other ones. I just rewatched Mission Impossible Fallout, which I still think is probably the best one. And there's a certain, I don't know, they're just on it in that movie, a certain kind of simplicity to it. But this new one, um, it's a little, there's like a lot of characters and, and also it just has a weird kind of antagonist in it. And there's some, I don't want to give away too much, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's a little more... Uh, it, it, it's it's a more idiosyncratic movie than the previous ones, but I mean, in terms of filmmaking, in terms of action, uh, there's nothing you're gonna see that's more spectacular than you know the stuff they do on the train in this movie or him jumping off the thing off the cliff and um, oh, what's the other big set? Be- I mean, it's just like such a thrilling film. So would highly recommend um, uh, Mission Impossible. Well, I guess it's the seventh one now. Um, should I talk about anything else I've been watching really quick? Sure. Um, I, I've also been watching, um, for Mixed Class, we've doing, it's been Cary Grant uh, mm. movies, so we watched Bring It Baby last week, which is uh, a lot of, you're a fan of that, that, right? Movie. Yeah. Yeah. We watched Pretty, it for the show. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, with the leopard. Isaac, I'm not sure if you remember that, but Catherine Hepburn talking really fast. Um, yes. Pretty... When she talks that fast, it's like unbelievable. I can't believe someone can can do that. It's just amazing. Doesn't um, he not like uh, Catherine Hepburn? Mick, Mick? Yeah, he kind of doesn't, but he he's come around to the movie. He actually says he likes the movie now, and he said he was surprised uh, that he didn't previously. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty fun. Um, let's see what else. Have you guys seen Jack Reacher? The, I, this is the one Macquarie blind spot i was filling and have you guys seen that amazon show or no with uh tom oh. cruise the, oh, from about no. 10 years ago i haven't no pretty fun movie it, def- it was there, his first collaboration with macquarie and it's not quite on the same level and scale of the mission movies but um some great stuff and macquarie is just like might be the best car chase director like of anyone working today he's just a, one of the most amazing car chases i've seen in that one definitely feels like very drive inspired so um that was a lot of fun uh let's see i've been watching the bear very good show i've not i haven't finished it yet the, the new season but would recommend that and um and then i watched amadeus with our film club which is we should really do a milos foreman month uh that would be that'd be fun to do cuckoo's nest amadeus because Fantastic. One just one of the best films ever made, I think. Hmm. You know, Isaac, Juzo, I have, have to you... I have to refute. I have to refute for a second. Mission Impossible what? five is the best Mission Impossible. Period. <laughs> I'll stand by it. People say Fallout's better. I just don't believe it. I just don't think that's I, true. I think I think there's a case for five. I'm I'm I might actually revisit it since I've watched all the rest of the Macquarie movies. Um, I think I actually might even say the the finale of five is better than Fallout because Fallout has the spectacular helicopter stuff, but there's something about that confrontation and you know Benji with the strapped to the explosives, and yeah. you know Ethan go I am the disc, you know 
you have to beat it out of me and that whole thing is just uh pretty pretty phenomenal um also like the yeah, the car chase in morocco and the opera scene i i think there's definitely a case for a five i i wouldn't uh disagree with it that much yeah which I one's always, the one I always where think they about set... the opera scene for sure oh yeah, yeah that yeah, is amazing true. What which one do they set the um or they they diffuse the nuke in the polar ice in Greenland or whatever and then they uh uh there's like an underwater thing where he has to like dive uh what which one's that one is that that's six five. I think that's six oh is that no five? it's five yeah yeah oh yeah that one's pretty good diffuses a nuke underwater no no no, no. Yeah. he he diffuses a nuke in like Greenland. And he meets his his wife or something. No, that's the, the sixth one. Yeah, sixth one. Because no, 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 yeah. No, yeah. The, no, the I think Greenland, but, but it's you're you're the underwater up the, stuff. The, the underwater I'm mixing thing. up. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. There's an underwater heist where he has to go into like a, a like a computer that's underwater. So whatever. Yes. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I always I loved that scene. Definitely. Um, yeah, that's a great one. He really held his breath, I think, or something like that. Yeah. No, all all of them are really just standout movies. It's surprising how um uh it it's taken five years to come out with with seven. Is that mm-hmm. is that so? I mean yeah, that's five a long time. Fallout. Um yeah, so, yeah, I mean partly COVID and what have yeah. you, but um no, I mean he's really and it's sort of interesting. He just keeps working with Macquarie because after the original movies is sort of like a different flavor each movie, different director, and um, it's kind of one of the only series where I think the last, it's like movies four through seven are actually better than one through three. I can't think of many other series where you could say that about them, because I just watched that. Another thing I watched was the first Mission Impossible, which actually kind of connects the new one in a lot of ways, both in terms of style and some characters come back. Um, and it's not like that great. There's one great sequence. It's the famous scene where Cruz goes through the, he has to like, uh, he's on wires and he's, you know, silently going into the, uh, I think it's like CIA headquarters. But other than that, it's, it's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of a bit of a slog, at least for me. Um, definitely would put it below most of the, the newer ones. Um, so now it's, it's really sort of like he, they found the identity for it, you know, in, in more recent years. I, I think especially with the Brad Bird one and then Rogue Nation. So, but yeah, new one's great. Can't wait to see part two. Um, yeah, great job all around. Does it do the thing that I hate uh, with all movies that are part one and part two where it doesn't, it doesn't conclude as a, as a movie? It concludes as like a half of a movie? Eh, a little bit, but it's, it's, it was pretty... I didn't feel like it was like a really annoying cliffhanger or anything. Um, it, it, it felt decently conclusive. Um, I don't know. You got to see it and we could, we could talk about it more. Cause yeah, yeah. it's, I, I thought, I thought it, it wasn't, didn't bother me. I thought the, 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 the wrap up for spider verse actually weirdly was a little bit more, it was more of a cliffhanger, but it was actually kind of a better ending. Cause it kind of got you fired up for the next one. And I wasn't even that crazy, like in love with the new spider verse, but um, I thought it had a nice sort of halfway point ending. I thought it worked pretty well. Mm. All right. Well, Isaac, have you been watching anything? Yeah. Um, I had some time to watch a movie last night and I ended up watching Catch Me If You Can just because it was just sort of on a whim and it seemed lighthearted enough for kind of like an exhausted Sunday 
sort of feeling and um yeah super enjoyable um i feel like you can see a lot of why dicaprio was cast in wolf of wall street with that movie he's got a certain sort of like um well like just the con man presence um jumps like really well to wolf of wall street the difference in the performance is that um in Wolf of Wall Street, he's not sympathetic, and in this movie, you're a little sympathetic towards him. Um, yeah, he's much more likable in this in Catch Me If You Can. Right, right. And so, I yeah, I just feel like Catch Me If You Can is really um, just like solid, good movie. It's just Spielberg, you know, knocking it out of the park. A lot of great scenes that um, have this Spielberg wonder with... I, I, I don't know, like there was the moment with... Um, like the dollars kind of coming up out of the room uh, when he's running away from like his in- his wedding party or whatever. Mm, um, yeah, in the suitcase, of, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a lot of cool lighting and whatnot. Um, I love the scene where he's like running away again as a pilot in that like long hallway with light and um, like it. I I don't know. Just the way it concludes with. Um, you know, Tom Hanks being like, well, no one's chasing you now, you know, and sort of like the emotional hold for the next like few minutes of the, of the film. It's like, you're kind of just sitting there like holding your breath, trying to figure out what's going to happen. Um, and, and the, the, the kind of like double twist ending when he gets caught, uh, at some point in the movie, I think he's in France, right? How it's kind of like, it's like they're they're playing poker at the end. I just I loved it. I thought it was um, such an enjoyable movie. Um, it engaged well it, because of my love for Spielberg. Now it engaged me in a way that I wholeheartedly expected. Um, whereas before I would not have really given it too much of a chance, but it was just hard not to enjoy. So I just did, and that's kind of all I have to say about it. And um, yeah, John Williams. I don't know if it's my my favorite thing from Williams, but it had sort of the same kind of um, light hooks that um, like like Home Alone had. Maybe it was too much of the Christmas stuff that that linked with it, but I didn't hear any themes that I have stuck in my head compared to some of his other work. Mm-hmm. Um, still, highly recommend that most people visit this movie. It's a lot of fun. Really enjoyed Christopher Walken in it too. Oh, he's wonderful. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. And I yeah. I do love that score. It's not like my favorite Williams, but it might be the one I listen to the most because it's not you can't really like relax and listen to Star Wars, you know, but mm-hmm. this is it's very sort of jazzy and and sort of um relaxing and and a lot of saxophone. Kind of hit John Williams going back to his like early days as a jazz musician. Um, yeah. So that's yeah, great stuff. That's an interesting way to think about it. I hadn't I hadn't considered listening to it just kind of outside of the movie because it's so um integrated with the movie's style it's almost it almost feels like it's uh it's orc it's orchestrated but it has an element similar to this movie where it just fits we're, we're talking about inception right um hans zimmer has like a very textural pocket in this movie and what's weird is that williams in catch me if you can is sort of a um orchestrated pocket that's so like fitting that you don't think it stands out and i think that's maybe where i was like where are you williams you know but it just 
it just fits. So I don't think that's a, a knock against the movie. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Highly recommend it. Um, I knew that we were probably going to visit it on the show at some point. Um, just cause we, we talk about Spielberg often and I'm kind of bummed that I didn't wait for it to be an assignment, but I'm glad I saw it. So no, yeah, I, for me, actually, it's one of my, um, one of my favorite of his, of his movies in, in some ways. Um, but partly because it's so easy to watch and so fun and, and it has that, the, the heart of a lot of, um, Spielberg movies that I don't like, you know, the the kind of sappiness in some ways, but also a, a really thrilling bent to it that I just think is is so enjoyable. And it's very it's very easy to get on board with the characters and to get on board with the, you know, the chase between um, you know, Ab- Abignell and um and the the uh FBI guy. You know, and it's just it really there's so much to it that's um you know the cat and mouse. It's it's just a lot of fun. I really think it's it's a great um, a, one of one of his greats that is probably not talked about enough. So yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to revisiting it after uh, the Fablemans because it's such a movie about you know like divorce and and being and it also yeah. has that kind of similar tone where it it feels sort of upbeat and and light on its feet, but um, at the same time is like full of melancholy and really ultimately quite a sad movie um but yeah definitely i would put it it's definitely up there with with his best work i think and definitely one of his best uh, you know if the 21st century for sure yeah i I, the last thing i wanted to add just like you're saying juzo is that the context around the fable men's with this movie is um it's just like a whole new color a whole new layer to it um because there's so much of it that is it, it it feels like a much more personal movie than maybe if I had watched it without seeing the Fablemans because I didn't I wouldn't have had that context about Spielberg. Like you could have just seen the scenes as like yes, this is a family falling apart scene, so it serves that purpose. But there are so many of the scenes that reflect how he portrays himself in the Fableman, um, and it's like he's still working through those emotions on screen way before he felt comfortable enough to put himself in mm-hmm. in the in the main character's shoes, you know. Um so definitely worth worth a revisit after after seeing that as well. Um Cameron, nothing for you? Uh nope, not not yet. Hopefully this movie or this uh this week I'll watch a movie, you know, other okay. than what we <laughs> have this is uh well, decided we, we, to, can, but... we can guarantee it right because we're about to go see oppenheimer right yeah we're gonna do it for the or we're gonna we're gonna uh record an episode on it afterward oh okay so, okay very um, good yes so i'm excited because I, I it'll be fresh um you know we'll we'll see it and a couple days later i'll have to tell you my thoughts what if i don't know it's scary i'm you know <laughs> gonna have to review a movie oh my goodness yeah a new film um no i am actually i've everybody's been saying great things who've seen it um and you know i'm really i'm really looking forward to to watching it um though i will say this week's assignment inception um you know it's funny because it has me excited for the exact opposite things that 
I think this movie or that Oppenheimer is going to do for me. So, you know, it's, I love the action of Inception and the kind of the, the layering that he does. And I really don't think that's going to be, uh, you know, Oppenheimer at all. So I'm, I'm excited, but I am excited to talk about, um, Inception with you, Juzo, especially. And in the context of, I haven't seen it since Tenet. And I think it really, um, you know, it's an interesting thing to go back and forth on why I hated Tenet and why I love this movie. Um, so, you know, mm. with that being said, um, I think we should just get into it. Yeah. Before we jump straight into the summary of the movie, if you haven't seen this movie, we're totally going to spoil it. I just want to warn you. And if you enjoy the podcast, we appreciate you being here listening. We thank you for your time, giving us a rating, sharing the show. All that stuff helps. We got a Patreon. It's in the description if you're interested. We appreciate you guys being here. And we're just excited to be talking about movies. And I just... Also, you know, Juzo, thank you for taking the time to talk about Inception. I feel I'm excited to hear your take because you were very confident about being on this show. So I'm I'm <laughs> I'm gonna toss it straight to you. because uh, I feel like you have a few thoughts you want to share about Inception. That we can get into some some light summary in there as well if you if you want. And then we can kind of open up the floor to continue the conversation around Nolan. Okay. I mean the Inception is just a particularly important film to me. I think I may have covered a bit of this on our Insomnia show, but it, you know, it was one of the first movies I remember getting into in terms of just being interested in movies. I you know, first Nolan movie I saw, and really one of the first non animated, non kids movies uh, that I remember like my dad taking me to go and see. And I was sort of thinking about how it's it kind of is, you know, we, we sort of, uh, on the show, I'm not sure if you guys do it anymore, but you used to have the, everyone is the movie for everyone, casual, curious sort of rating. And I really think this movie is kind of the ultimate for everyone movie in terms of it's, it's a movie that benefits from contemplation and you could read profi- profound ideas into it. And I think it is a profound film and it's a film you have to pay attention to. And it, it in some ways is quite cerebral, but also is just like completely delightful on a gut level, completely entertaining. I think any person can watch it just as a piece of pure entertainment, um, you know, just as much. And it's sort of, I don't know. It's like the ultimate sort of gateway drug. I think it's kind of like what drive was for, the way you talk about Drive Isaac, where it's mm. like this makes me made you made me interested in like what oh this is what film can do. Film can go beyond just sort of just entertainment. Um, but it's you know this 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 movie is just this nice balance because it's has sort of a, this labyrinthine structure, but he holds your hand through it and he's making sure he he really makes a point of like not not making you too confused. I think that might be if we're talking about contrast with Tenet might have been one of the things where Tenet is a little bit more difficult, I think. Um but yeah, I just, you know, it's probably a film I've watched, you know, over and over, I don't know, a dozen times, 20 times, who knows. Um and you know, it remains my favorite Nolan film, I think. Uh, and just uh I don't know, I'm just you know, using a bunch of hyperbole here, but um, it's funny watching it as I get older, I watch it again and again. There's certain things you, about movies you watch as a kid and you've seen so many times, you sort of just 
take for granted and you just sort of think you understand it. And then as I watch it, you know, for the, you know, 13th time, I, I'm going, wait, does this really make sense? Is this actually like stupid, you know? And I start to go a little bit like, I don't know. I think it's, it's one of these things where it's like, you know, the people... The people you like, it's like the people you love the most, you know their flaws more than anyone, you know. And I think this is might be a little bit the case with Inception. I probably am overlooking certain things when I when I talk about it, but I still, I mean, I love it to death, and it's you know just such such a significant film in my life. Um, but what what about you guys? Did you guys see it when it came out? So no, I I actually didn't. Um, I it was a couple years after. Uh, that I went and saw it or that, you know, I ended up seeing it. Um, and it's because my, um, it's a funny story. So my brother saw it and, um, in, in theaters, you know, cause it was, it was all the rave. Um, and he, and he suggested that my parents go see it on a date, but my mom does not like, uh, violent movies or anything like this um oh. and so she was very turned off by by the movie she actually ended up walking out and um <laughs> um so i th that story is funny so i i wasn't allowed to watch it until i i grew up a little bit um but oh. the um so I, I i missed it in theaters but um in in terms of watching it you know it was in sort of the succession of because I, I think I told you that, you know, Prestige was one of those very early movies for me, um, not Inception. So, uh, you know, watching it in that stage, it was kind of another another domino in that, um, you know, in that line. Um, Isaac, did you see it uh, when it came out? No, I, I, I didn't, but I think I saw it pretty close to the time that it came to like DVD or whatever. Definitely one of those Netflix rental discs. Mm. And I'm pretty yeah. sure Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure what happened is my dad got it. He watched it. I wanted to see it. And after he watched it, he was like, I could watch this again, whatever. Like he, he wasn't he, he like we ended up watching it again and I remember just being so in love with it the first time I saw it because um so much of the the visual stuff harkens to a lot of the call of duty games of the time um especially the snow section that's what you and i were talking about camera when we watched it um there's just a lot of visceral action that um was perfect for you know a young teenage boy like me i was like this this is great um i think the ending of the film sparks a great kind of like recess conversation uh, when you're out at break, people mm. discussing it. Um, it just, it has a, I feel like it hits all of the beats that a great action movie needs to hit um, for people, or for, for like a nerdy kid like myself, I would say. Um, I, I don't know if like The Matrix had a similar like resonant, when it when it came out in theaters, I feel like it was a little more approachable, and I'm not sure why uh, than this one. But I mean, the movie's got the cast; um, it's got the action. The only thing it really doesn't have is I feel like it's kind of lacking on some romance side. So maybe that was what was missing for some like summer audiences. But as a teenage boy, I was like all about it: guns, you know, explosions drugs whatever they're doing there is crazy you know like i don't even know what's happening they're sleeping and and as i mentioned at the beginning of the episode i am a 
I just have the craziest drug tripping dreams. One of the things that I used to say, um, <laughs> I guess I, I, I could still say it, uh, is I'm like, I don't need to do drugs. I just fall asleep at night. And then uh, who knows what happens to me at that point, you know? Um, very, I'm a very like visceral dreamer. So this movie being able to comment on that for me, I'm like, yeah, like I, I, I think it's, I think it's amazing. Um, and it made me consider kind of like lucid dreaming and, and kind of like how conscious are you? There's lines in this movie about like, you know, there's so much more potential in your brain that we don't use that kind of send my mind racing. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I had a great first impression, even though I didn't get to see it in the theaters. It's a real bummer I didn't get to because of some of the visual uh, moments in this film. Uh, but my parents did have a projector screen actually when I was in high school, and I do remember watching it kind of at the home projector thing. And uh, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Wow. You you yeah. guys had a good media room. Yeah. yeah. No, my dad was very passionate about it. But then the the bulb on the projector went out. So we didn't have a projector for like probably like eight years until like a few months before Glenn and I moved out. My dad finally replaced it. So it just doesn't get used now. Like it's just there and it doesn't get used. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> like, yeah, you couldn't bad. have fixed that sooner. Sorry. You know, just thrown slander towards my parents. But um, yeah, no, no, no. That was, well, that was I, always it. Cameron, did you ever watch anything on that on that screen? Of course. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think we watched... Um, uh, we probably watched Lord of the Rings on that screen. Um, yeah, that's usually yeah, what ended up happening. Yeah, yeah, we would throw the throw all the pillows from your couch down on the floor and just and just sit on them. You know. Yeah. So did you guys great. just not watch movies for eight years, or you just watch them on your computer or whatever? No, just on the TV. Because like, oh, I see, the room I was laid out where there was like a TV and a and an L shaped couch, but then to the left was like a screen. And to the right was a projector. So the room was just laid out to just be basically like movie TV room. <laughs> that was like the only purpose of that room. Um, and my dad, again, like my love of movies and stuff and, and video games, like that comes from my dad, whether he likes to admit it or not. I mean, he's the one that built the room. So, <laughs> you know? um, well, I definitely had the same experience of, of, like becoming obsessed with dreams after the movie. And I, 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 one of the things I remembered when I was, Rewatching is how I I used to every night I would listen to this score. It's one I think it was the first CD I owned was the Inception score, and I would listen to it because I'd be like, I want to have an Inception dream. I want to have a lucid dream, um, which never. I don't think I've ever had a dream like you know about the Inception characters about or about doing a heist or anything awesome like that. Uh, my dreams are either boring or or more upsetting than that, I guess, but. Um, and it's also sort of, it's an odd film because it's not exactly, I don't know if I'd really describe it as, does it really feel like a dream? I think in, in certain places maybe, but not, it's not like a David Lynch movie or like Mulholland Drive, where I think Mulholland Drive is the most like dreamlike film I've ever seen. Um, but at the same time, I don't know, it's just the, the experience of watching Inception and the fact that sometimes it like, it doesn't make sense or also the way it, it sort of leans into the emotional and it becomes sort of emotional. Um, I don't know. It does that, that part of it does tap into the, the feeling of dreams. I think um, that is really true. And I, it's something I've never actually thought about before, but the movie is very um, linear in terms of, of how it's um, not, not how it's structured, but I think it, maybe 
it has to be laid out in this very particular way. Otherwise, you will get lost. And so if it starts messing up, messing with like continuity and with with anything like that, you know, to make to make things more dreamlike in in sort of a Lynchian way, um, I th- kind of think the movie just wouldn't work as well. Um, and and it's it's something that I don't even think about as like, oh, they're in a dream, but they're kind of just, you know, dr- the dream state is just real life you know, for, for the most part. And, and I think they kind of explain it away as like all the other people walking around are going to, um, are going to start attacking you if you, if you mess up things, you know, or, you know, something like that. So right. it's, it, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting rule set in place by the movie, but I do think, um, in some ways it limits the creativity, but it also, it keeps the movie on rails for sure. I think it needs to. I, I will say like, as someone that, dreams very like kind of crazy stuff the movie does get it right occasionally um and it's the scene where they're at the cafe and and um it's like he he's asking he he's asking about like how did we get to this cafe do you remember what i'm talking about yeah and that's the moment that they're like oh wait like i can't really explain how we got here and in my own dreams, it's like when I try to explain it to somebody, like if I try to explain it to Jules when I wake up, it's like, okay, so first I'm in this like Roman church and then I walk outside and I'm in a London subway. And then all of a sudden I go upstairs and I'm in my childhood bedroom. Like it makes no sense like what is connecting those places. But in my dream, there's no doubt that where I am is where I am. And there's no like confusion about that. It's kind yeah. of like these, these these locations um, change so suddenly and I feel like they could have tapped into that more um, with this movie where they open a door and they're in a different place. But like the person who's dreaming isn't confused. Right. And everyone else. I think that's the whole point. They're supposed to be sort of locked into that. You know, they talk about creating these mazes so that everything's structured, you know, everything has this, this sort of sense of a place and um, you know, we know where, where everything is, we know where we're going um, so that they have sort of a better, a better, you know, idea of the job ahead basically. Yeah. So I, I think, I think that the, the movie to its credit does have moments where it, it, it gets it right. And it, but like at the mm-hmm. same time, you gotta, you kind of have to distinguish the three different environments from the city hotel snow area. And then, like you know, the the dreamscape world or whatever, because all four come into play with the with the drop or whatever, the punch, whatever they do, and the kick, and yeah, yeah, the kick. Um, but still, yeah, I mean, the consideration around dreaming and whatnot, yeah, this movie definitely had me thinking about stuff a lot more once once I wake up. It's just funny though, like to watch this movie afterwards and then whatever the heck I'm going through with panic waking up, it's like playing into that, which I thought was pretty funny. You know, I'm scared. I'm going to turn over uh, and say, Jules, I had this crazy dream. And she'd be like, you've been trained for this. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? You know, like, like but have you ever anyways. had a, a, a dream within a dream? Either of you? I have. For sure. I have. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. scary. You wake up and then you're like, yeah, you're still in it. And, and then sometimes you realize your dream. I, I've, Sometimes when I realize I dream, usually I just start flying. Like I start making myself fly over the thing. Pretty, pretty wild. Doesn't happen that often, but 
Yeah. I think a dream within a dream happens for me if I'm like, because there's like those different sleep cycles, right? And if you're in the light sleep cycle, like I pass in and out of consciousness. So I'll be like, what time is it? And then I'm out and I'm back in and out. And I was like, what? I don't even know what's going on there. So, um, but enough about the personal dreaming. Okay. <laughs> Let's try. Who wants to attempt to explain this plot for the people who haven't seen the movie? I think you should, Isaac. I think oh, you should God. do it. It's, I can do it if you, I mean, it's not that complicated. Okay. Is I'm, it? A, I'm not going to go too, too in depth, but this is what I'm going to say. The movie opens with um, a group of guys led by Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And what they essentially do is they they are like special operatives that put people to sleep and plant ideas in their brain. They'll extract uh, ideas early on. Or like, extract yeah. or, or plant, right? The idea of planting a, an idea in someone's brain is inception. So... The movie opens with them extracting an idea out of someone's mind. Uh, and that guy's name is um, Sato. Sido. 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 Yeah. Um, and Sido's a wealthy businessman. And so they basically pull off a heist where they um, are trying to get something out of his brain. Uh, he figures out that he's dreaming. He's like, I know you guys are trying to take something. They wake up. They're in this other environment. Um and they they almost figure it out. I think they kind of fail. I don't actually really know. Right? Sure. Yeah, they they fail because he realizes. Well, they they do a dream within a dream, and then his he they they um the the carpet gives away that he's you know his his apartment is not the right carpet, and he realizes he's still dreaming, and they fail to acquire whatever secret. There's a lot of like amorphous kind of detail in this movie where it's just like yeah. we have to get the information and it's like what information but it's not important. Yeah. So essentially um Saito's like okay, great, you guys seem skilled enough. Um get a team ready. What we're going to do is um go to my competitor's air and we're going to try to plant an idea in his mind that sabotages um, the other company because essentially Saito's company can't like compete, compete against yeah. them. Right. Right. So the movie uh, has them, instead of doing an extraction with a dream within a dream, they try to do three levels of dreaming. And it's like a three, uh, there's like, there's like three dreams where they, they go into a dream and then they, they take the group and fall asleep and go into another dream and then take the group and fall asleep and go into another dream uh, and they're trying to plant an idea um, in Fisher's mind about um, basically, like, you know, trying to get him to do his own thing instead of continue his father's empire. And they're pulling on emotional strings and learning about this businessman um, as they, they pull this off. And you're like, well, how did they get him to go to sleep in the first place? They have a chance to go on, like, a 10-hour flight with him. There's a bunch of time in the movie before that where they're explaining kind of how the mechanics of everything works, but the action and and kind of the plot of the movie is all driven around these these three levels of dream um, that are taking place, right? They they're um, doing a dream within a dream within a dream, and they're trying to plant the idea. They're trying to learn about uh, Fisher's character, and it's very action packed. And you basically have three dreams coinciding with action and they're all trying to line up stuff um, to essentially 
knock them back out and be successful with the mission. Um, and there is a uh, another plot around Leonardo DiCaprio with Maul, right? Or Mal? Mal. Uh, sure. Which is like his deceased wife where he learned a lot about this dream within a dream thing. There's some trauma. She keeps showing up. Of course, they're explaining that if there are you know, memories that are out of place that are invading the dream, suddenly the dream starts to kind of shake and fall apart because um, that's not supposed to be there and and something will go wrong with the heist. But it all kind of culminates with um, ideas around like they're trying to complete this sort of special ops mission and there's all this conversation about like what it, what does it mean to be awake and and kind of escapism and things like that. But... I, I kind of wanted to give a brief explanation of what happened in the movie, but like, and you can watch the movie on face value, enjoy the action, love what's going on. Right. I actually, this viewing, I kind of sat back and was like, I'm not really going to try to think about this movie till after the credits. I'm just going to enjoy it. And I really had fun watching it. Although I was making jokes the whole time I was watching it with you, Cameron saying this is the worst viewing because Tim was just, <laughs> you know, Tim was just being super obnoxious next to us. Oh God. Um, and I actually have a question from Tim. But before we get to anything else uh, regarding, I guess I guess we can open the floor for comments about the plot, maybe things you like about the plot, but really what I want to get down to with this movie, because if you haven't seen it already, come on, it's like 13 years old. I feel like most people have seen this movie. We don't need yeah, to. Yeah, if you haven't watched it, just stop this show right now and go watch it, because it's yeah. awesome. I don't want to spend too much time explaining a plot that most people have, have seen, right? Um. And they explain it like three times in the movie. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I mean <laughs> Instead I wanna I wanna pass it over to you experts and say, what is this movie about to you? Cameron, let's start with you. Uh, well, I guess it, um first before I answer that, I mean I think I think one of the important things that I really didn't get until this viewing, um, but that that really kind of shocked me or pleasantly I was pleasantly surprised about. I really loved the the sort of world building that they do very early on through the movie um, and and the sort of laying the groundwork. And I always thought that, um, you know, some of the characters are there very obviously just to explain certain things. But then even even so, um, it really works to help, um, you know, pull you into that that kind of world where there's there's this corporate espionage and there's you know all these things going on under the surface i loved the it's a scene i totally forgot about i had no idea i loved the sequence where um you know he goes down into that it's it's like an opium den but basically just for dreams mm. um you know and and so that there there are tons of like little details in this movie where you're like oh wow there's like you know it's you know it's not blade runner necessarily but but he's doing a lot to sort of put put your mind into this world where, you know, corporations are trying to screw each other over by hijacking each other's minds and setting each other, you know, setting themselves against each other. You know, they and so he does a lot that's very, um, very detailed in in these little subtle ways. And along with that, he he brings in some of the personal um, aspects of Leonardo DiCaprio's character, um, where he, you know, 
the the opium den people, you know, the the guys who you know they can't dream unless they're under this heavy sedative. Um, you know, then he starts. You start seeing that that's the same thing with with Leo. Is he doesn't dream unless he's under this sedative because he's been, you know, in this world of espionage and because he has you know this past trauma with with his ex wife or former wife, I guess. Um, so I just love those those little details that I think really kind of glossed over in my memory of where you know what I was thinking about this movie. What you know when you think about it, you think about the the dreams within dreams and you think about the, you know, sort of this overarching structure that, that has them all intercutting and the action and everything is great, you know, with that. Um, but I missed, I think I missed the, the kind of smaller things and the, the world building thing. So I did want to shout that out just in terms of, I really do think, all of that plot stuff and all of the sort of, you know, more boring things maybe in a normal movie, um, just really work so well in this movie. I think I think they just, um, you know, the writing is 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 top notch w- with it. Um, now, what is this movie about? Um, I think in some ways. <sighs> In some ways, I I don't know if that's the right question uh, to be asking um, necessarily. Partially because I think I think with a, a lot of Nolan movies, he's he's posing a question with the movie, um, and he's not he's not sort of divining anything inspirational or anything necessarily sort of hard hitting with it, but he he is asking something about your conscious experience. What are you when you're asleep? Are you, um, you know, which, how do you perceive the real world? Um, can you ever be sure that you're in, that your sensory experiences are the real ones? And what do we even mean by the real sensory experiences if we're having them in dreams and we don't know that we're not in the quote unquote real world? So I think he's posing these questions, but I think with the ending, that's very famous that I'm not going to talk about yet, but with the ending, I think he's, he's very clearly asking the question and not really saying much about the answer. So I, you know, with that, Juzo, you can talk more about it maybe, but that's, that's kind of my, uh, yeah. my thought. No, it's tough to talk about. In terms of meaning, in terms of analysis, this movie is a very easy one to, you know, kind of get into the zone of you know a bunch of guys like smoking pot around a fire and like philosophizing because um it's it's that kind of movie that is has a lot of these questions who am i what is what is reality all that sort of thing um what i will say is that the as it's as a kid i was always you know i i, I there were scenes I would rewatch. It's like Last Crusade, where I'd go to certain things and I just watch over and over. And it was always, you know, to see some, you know, Tom Hardy take out the guys on the snow speeder, or you know, the 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 hallway, the the tilting hallway. Of course, is like the thing I've probably watched the most from this movie. Um, but as I get older, the parts of the movies that I find more resonant now are uh, the stuff with him and his wife, and, and this sort of, um, I mean. Uh, what what this movie is saying about the ways 
it, it's like making literal, I think, uh, things that I think every one does in terms of their memories and in terms of their regrets which is like the the in this movie literal prison of his mind that he puts mal into and like has you know and tries to like relive all these memories and tries to kind of like you know and seizes upon them he can't let them go i think that in some ways is like one of the biggest ideas of the movie is like how you can you, you can destroy yourself and your mind and also like your your life and your profession i mean this movie is it has it's sort of a great way of showing how your emotional emotional turmoil and these sort of unresolved aspects of your past can bleed into the rest of your life in ways that are unintentional and this movie sort of is a is a makes literal those things that by having you know her show up in the heist or the train coming through which is just like one of the great visuals in the movie the train barreling through the city of his memories that are um upending uh his professional life basically um so just i think it's i think it's about that and then the other thing that i just find as i watched it more recently is um it's a movie about movies like i used to think this was a little bit of a too cute or too clever analysis but i think i think it's almost quite clear how much this movie is about like cobb is a director and all these people you know uh, saito is the businessman and all the you know all these characters are the different parts of the filmmaking um apparatus and when you have fisher in there it's sort of like um he's the audience and that moment with fisher at the end with his father um is really about like how like movies like do get into your mind and they you know as much as tried as it does sound people's lives are changed by the movies they watch people do have ideas there are people who oh i became this profession because i saw this movie about whatever and it made me want to do this i mean that's a version of inception and i think it's sort of great that fisher is part of that inception like he's he he's actually the one giving himself the idea because at the end of the day, it's like a combination of the production design, the music, and all these things that are that are the uh, artifice of film. But then it's also it's like you, it's like what you bring to it that sort of is uh, what gives you the idea, or what creates that change, or if not change, that just that emotional response. And it's such a great moment because it's like you're watching it, and you're what it's a movie, and also within the movie it's an artifice you know you know it's not real fisher doesn't know he he doesn't realize that but but of course you do but you're still moved by it when he pulls out the pinwheel it's still an incredibly touching um moment and i think it sort of feels like nolan's ultimate um kind of reflection on i mean in in many ways not dissimilar to the way spielberg was sort of examining that with the fablemans in terms of how um how people put their emotions into movies and how it kind of um, how it can change people's lives, I guess. If that, even if that sounds a little bit trite, but I think it's the case with this. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I, was, I was talking about that. I don't know if you listened to the Prestige uh, discussion, but I was I was talking about yet. that a little bit with with that movie, and that uh, you know he he plants a certain idea of um, of fooling the audience. Um, in in that movie, you know, and, and he's kind of he's kind of discussing the ideas of technical mastery versus 
um, you know, audience capture and, you know, gaining the attention of the audience in that movie. So I think it's totally fair to, um, you know, to talk about this movie as a um, kind of an interesting little um, ode to to the way that um, that Nolan f- finds himself in, in the director's seat, planting ideas in your mind. Um, I think that's true. And I think, um, I think it's probably accurate for him as well. I mean, um, he has done that for obviously, you know, us, but also, you know, many people, especially with this movie. Um, I just remember people talking about, um, you know, the top and, uh, talking about dreams and, and, you know, exploring a certain part of, of reality, maybe in a juvenile way, but exploring parts of reality that I, I, you know, they probably hadn't considered before. Um, you know, for an average person walking about their day, are they really going to think about if they're dreaming or not? I don't think so. I don't think that's what most people think about, but maybe after this movie, they would, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome where that question kind of led the conversation because I do agree with you, Cameron. People begin to overanalyze this movie. And that's why I was so excited to ask you guys what you thought this movie meant. And I also thought it was hilarious how Cameron, you're like, that's not the right question. Like, you know, you're missing the point, but instantly like you can, like you were saying, Juzo, we can become a bunch of dudes sitting around smoking weed and discussing like, yeah, like what, what does it mean? Yeah. And, and so my viewing this, this time was really kind of reflecting on like how the movie attempts to like hook in uh, viewers in any way possible, whether you want to be that analytical person, whether you just want to enjoy the action. The only critique that I would say against it is sort of the romance side, because I feel like a lot of Hollywood movies usually bank that in, even if it's half baked. Uh, and, yeah, and I don't like that when, when it's just like some, uh, you know, shoehorned romance. I think it, because I, I think you could have done that with Ariadne or whatever, but I'm glad. Well, they didn't. Yeah, exactly. I kind of prefer the, um, yeah, that would that wouldn't that be inappropriate a little bit, you know, the the teaching, you know, the pulling under the wings and stuff, you know. I'm I'm yeah, glad they didn't yeah. go that way. Like we were talking about with insomnia, how I'm glad they didn't go with the uh um you know, the <laughs> um well, the hotel anyways. clerk or or Hillary no, 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 Swank, the, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Hillary Swank. Um No, I but I, I kind of like that it's actually, you know, the romance is a past romance. So you do still under, you still get that, you know, drive and you still get that sort of passion. And I think it's kind of interesting because in in some ways, um, he's much more captured by this um by this past romance than he would be if it was, you know, a, sort of a half baked idea of, oh, you know, here's this new love or whatever. I really think it works well that he he's kind of stuck in this um, endless, you know, replaying and guilt and, you know, things of, of, um, you know, trying to do things differently. Um, and even then I think there's still a, a bit of sweetness, maybe bittersweetness to the, to the romance, you know, where they, they talk, you know, he talks about like, we've, we've, we had our time, you know, we had our 50 years together and blah, 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 you know? And, and I think, um, amazing, amazing moment. Yeah. And, and I think there's, there's, parts of that that really hit on that that so i i don't think i don't think that's missing or i would say that's missing from from the movie 
Um, for me, I wouldn't want there to be anything conflicting with that sort of main um, character arc for, um, you know, for for Cobb. I, I really think it works um, very well as is. So. No, no, no. I, I agree. I'm just saying like kind of from a mechanical stance, right? Like this movie seems like it has it all. And I would say, I, and all I was pointing that out for is like, well, I guess like if you were looking at a summer blockbuster, you could throw that in there. But that's what's so impressive to me about it is that you can take it in so many different directions of enjoyment. As a matter of fact, just getting back to what the that question I posed about what do you think the movie means, I specifically watched this film in a method this time where I was like, I'm going to kind of like kind of slunt like slouch back, not really overthink it, and just kind of like watch it uh, and not really get hung up on any of the mechanics or any of the small bits of dialogue. And um, the moments that really stuck out to me that I barely remember for my first viewing are the moments about like um, Cobb, you know, talking to his wife saying, you know, we had our time, you know? And I was like, wow, this is like, this is a crazy scene, like kind of an internal forgiveness moment that I completely went over my head the first time. And then Fisher with the pinwheel, I remember I pointed it out to you, Cameron. I was like, oh my goodness. Like I never realized like that. What a, like what a crazy emotional moment just from an object and the way that Tom Hardy's behind him, you know, with the gun kind of like, did it work? Like, did we get it? You know? And I, I don't know, like so much about that is like, it's just an aggressive climactic moment. I just, I was like, wow, like this is just incredible. Like I'm just, I can't believe what I'm watching right now. This is, this is quite good. And, yeah. and so kind of that, that moment with the pinwheel, you know, kind of just s simply unexplained in terms of, of the, you know, the significance. I, and I think, it it works so well because of that you know there's no there's no diatribe about how this was you know such an important blah 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 thing. you know you understand you don't have to have that mm -hmm. um you know it's it's really just a, a you know an object that evokes a, a sort of deep and everlasting um either memory or trauma or feeling of you know how he feels about his father and i think i think it works really well just um you know, just just letting it be and letting the audience fill in, uh, fill in the blanks with that. Yeah. So the, after I kind of just let the film wash over me, right? I took the next day to kind of think like, well, what did I think that movie was about? Because I remember the first time I had watched it. I don't really know how many times I've seen it. I feel like maybe once or twice before this, actually. Um. I was kind of like clenching on to the movie. That was so awesome. Oh my goodness, what about that one scene? Or, or I'm trying to explain it. I'm trying to understand it. I'm trying to be like an obnoxious YouTuber with a hot take or something like that. And I was very young at the time when I had seen it. And watching it this time and just kind of kicking back, I was like, how did it hit me? Because I feel like you could spin it in so many different directions. Just personally this time... Um, and I'm sure I love what you said, Juzo. I was like, wow, I didn't even think about like the, the connection to movies um, mm. or Cameron, kind of more of the scientific approach about like um, consciousness, like a stream of consciousness. You know, I, I had considered some of that, but the way you explained it was quite nice. Um, for me, this viewing, I sat back and the next day I was thinking about it and I was like, I really feel like what, what it was hitting on for me was this idea around escapism um, and the way that certain people 
attach themselves to escapism and make it their their life, whether it's, um, you know, I, I don't know if, it, if it's a hobby, right? Or if it's, you know, I, I feel like people hear a lot about video games. I've been at times completely addicted to certain video games where I cannot play them and it's like most of my time feels like, it feels like I'm beginning to live in the world of Destiny 1 or something like that where I've put that many hours um, and actually how much that relates to dreams. As a matter of fact, I start talk about this. About yeah. I, I, I talked about this with some friends. Uh, Call of Duty came out with their Warzone game and I put probably over 500 hours during COVID into that game. And I still have dreams to this day about being in that map, which is freaky to me, right? Because the, ma- the other thing is the map is not available. You can't play it anymore. Uh, they took it away. And so now I dream about a place that is technically wiped off the digital map. I can't ever go back there, mm. right, in the, in the game, right? And so there's something about escapism with this movie that clicked with me. And uh, I don't know if I really have any elegant way of putting it, but I just had never seen the movie in that sort of light. And uh, it just added it's something new. And I feel like it just attests to how, how great the movie's made. You can You can kind of garner different things about it but have you guys considered the uh, the escapism angle around this movie yeah well i think i think in terms of um not not necessarily you know his um you know way of or his outlet of getting away from the world but i think i think absolutely in terms of the way that he he thinks about mal and the way that he thinks about that relationship is is so quintessential of you know, projecting your own thoughts about a person, um, and, and, you know, not, not being in a, in a real or denying the reality that, that this person is God. And so projecting your, your thoughts mm. into, um, you know, making, making a creation of this person and even and like a half remembered creation too, you know, like right. her, when he's like, you're just a shade of my former wife, you know, that yeah. whole thing. And, and, and even, even the, um, you know, on a small scale, when sometimes you have, um, you know, these sort of uh, wrinkles to people where you think about them in a certain way or you make assumptions about them in a certain way and you start to build a, you know, a separate character in your mind that's not, you know, it's not tied to reality because it's just, you know, your thoughts about a person. Um, you know, I think th- I think this, this movie totally explores that in sort of a... Um, an interesting way. And I think, um, I know that's not exactly what you mean by escapism, Isaac, but that's what I thought of in terms of, um, escaping the, uh, what you might know about a person or what you might think about a person, um, in, in favor of building your own, you know, way of viewing them. Um, if that makes sense, not in terms of media or entertainment, but just in the, in the personal aspect of it. I think also escapism, I think of, because we, oftentimes we talk about movies in this way as like movies are escape from reality. I think there's something very sort of uh, compelling about the fact that the movie is this amazing combination of pure escapism of like watching, you're watching a fun heist movie, you're watching an action movie that's just like thrilling, taking you out of reality, but then also cr- confronting you with these ideas that are like deeply to me, like now I like could like deeply understand that probably at 13, I wasn't getting about, you know, regret and uh, holding on to the past and being kind of, um, you know, rotten from the inside by these memories. Um, and 
it's and also just it's and I was thinking about how it's it's sort of uh interesting how the catharsis at the end um with both Fisher and Cobb kind of reflects that contradiction because one of them is accepting it is coming to some kind of realization or catharsis be, through the acceptance of reality of my wife is no longer here i need to like sort of move on from this and then the other is like accepting a lie which is that like, his father loved him which of course is not true but it's like some people it's it, it's an interesting contradiction because like both things are true i think about life is like you have to accept certain truths and you have to like that are that are you know unpleasant and but you you sort of have to you know, recognize that they're true. And then at the, on the other side, you do have to sort of lie to yourself and you do have to kind of tell yourself these stories or tell yourself these kind of narratives that help you go on with your life. And I think, um, you know, for all the, for all the spectacle and for all the, you know, Tom Hardy shooting 50 guys with a machine gun, um, the movie, movie, I think gets at these things quite beautifully. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I agree. Um, I want to kind of spin the conversation into analysis of some of the characters or people that you want to shout out, um, people that stuck out to you this time. Um, because for me, Fisher, I I really didn't pay attention to him at all. Uh, and mm-hmm. he was a, a huge standout on this viewing. Um, He's... And that... Yeah, go ahead, Jesus. Oh no, I just was like the last few times I watched it, I just kind of realized how much of like the silver bullet of the movie Murphy is because he's it's such a you have to sell that moment of of emotion at the bedside at the end of that movie for like the whole thing to work, and yeah. it's amazing. Like he totally does it, um, and also just like his confusion and his antipathy is funny. I was kind of thinking of Succession also while I'm watching this because like the relationship with oh, the yeah. father and that sort of thing. Um, like when he's in the you know uh, handcuffed to the sink with uh, with Tom Berenger where he's talking about you know his father. We didn't have any really good memories. Um, that sort of conflict within him, I think, is just beautifully portrayed by um, by Killian Murphy. And I'm certainly just like really psyched to see him finally getting his like getting to lead a movie with Nolan because I think he's been in in a number of these movies just a great and Dunkirk as well has been this sort of great smaller character that has such an impact and is so kind of memorably um broken human being but just beautifully portrayed but Isaac were were you going to say anything else before I go into the other characters yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just another shout out, Saito. I don't think I paid attention to him at all when I was younger. Um, my, the big thing about his character in this viewing was that he's just electric on screen. I just didn't realize how much of a like power on on screen he is. At least for for this viewing, I was like, this guy is like awesome. When I was younger, I was like, Tom Hardy's obviously stealing the show here, or you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, but. Uh, I don't know why these other side characters stood out to me on this viewing. I was like, these people are pretty electric on screen. I don't know what it is, but I'm enjoying every time they're there. You know? No, it's, it's interesting. Juza, what you said about Fisher in terms of um, how he, he's not the one you think of in terms of, you know, you, you, you know, in a year from now, you know, talking about him in this movie, it's, it's not really what I'm going to first think of. I'm going to think about, you know, the relationship between Cobb and Mal and, you know, the, you know, the, the hallway and, you know, everything like that. But mm-hmm. he really does 
bring a lot of the emotional side of things, um, both in terms of feeling, um, you feel almost guilty at the beginning. You're like, oh, they're working for this really bad guy. You know, they're like, they're they're basically, you know, t- hijacking someone's brain. It's it's super unethical in that way. You know, but uh, but then by the end, you know, you're 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 like, oh, this is this is gonna be great for him because he's harbored this like horrible, uh, you know, feelings about his dad and this complication. And, you know, it's still deeply unethical to do that, to hijack someone's brain. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, but, but, but there is something to that where you're like, the, the emotions really do carry into this, um, this, this depth of complexity where you're like, at first you're not, you're not sure that that's something that these, these characters should be agreeing to. Uh, but by the end, you know, you, you feel like maybe it, it is the best for everybody. Um, it is, it's kind of interesting how that, how that plays with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I really, um, I don't know. I, I just, I just love the cast of this movie. I found everyone just a delight to watch. Um, it's funny cause it's like so many of these people, it was like the first time I saw them in any, um, I mean, frankly, it might've been the first time I saw Leo in a movie actually, but, um, I'd never heard of Tom Hardy or any of these guys uh, before this, but I mean, he's, he has such a great, I kind of wish he would, he, he, he goes a little idiosyncratic. I feel like in, in these like last few years of his career and, and it's nice to see him kind of playing a little more of a straight ahead, just super charming character. And he's still kind of like laid back and natural and can toss off this very strange expository dialogue in a way that feels real. Um, and yeah, yeah, Watanabe was another guy I was thinking about Saito, just how great he is in this and how sort of electric he is to watch. Um, yeah, it's a great team. I, I always like movies where it's like putting the team together, heist movies. Um, really, really like fun to watch, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's read a question really quickly from the infamous... Ooh. Tim Smith. Now we watched this uh-huh. movie with Tim. He is known for being a Nolan hater. All right. Uh-huh. And Cameron, I think we were successful. Uh, we watched the movie with him, and he said, "You know what? That was at least an enjoyable viewing experience." I don't know what. I don't know. If I don't we know. Were. I think. I think by the end he was. Well, I mean, he he had to come around because you know you can't you can't deny it. Um, but, but at some point he, you know, he kept being like, well, what does it mean? You know, what's, what's the point of all this? I, why oh, do I care? Oh, um, which, you know, is just, just a terrible take for pin, but, but what's, what's his question? Well, we got a few, all right. Because he okay. said he would ride in, but he didn't want to be on the show to talk about Nolan and his boring movies. Okay. <laughs> um, here is... <laughs> Here is his first question about Nolan. What is peak Nolan? The Dark Knight, Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, or Interstellar? Those are his four options. What is peak Nolan? We haven't seen Oppenheimer well, I, yet. But. Yeah. I, also, I would say Dunkirk is in there as well in terms of... I, I, you could make a case for Dunkirk just in terms of being like, that's an astonishing run to go from... All the Batman movies, Prestige, Inception, Interstellar to Dunkirk. I mean, like, that's pretty unbeatable. But I mean, in terms of peak, like his best movie, I would say it's Inception. It is interesting. I have to say, despite being the number one Inception fanboy, whatever, this is the greatest movie 
you know, ever on the face of the earth. I actually will say that I think Nolan has become a better filmmaker in the years since Inception. And I think, um, I don't know. I think I think you you could make a case some of the action and some of the stuff might be even tighter or a little bit like better choreographed um, if he was making this ten. Because this is what Tenet is. Tenet is like impeccably made, but it's like the script falls down. You know, it's it's just like there are other shortcomings the movie has. But in terms of like the staging of stuff, it's pretty uh, amazing. And and I I would put like that truck heist or the opening in the opera house up there with anything in Inception, maybe even above it. And in fact, yeah, as I was saying earlier, I think it's the emotional stuff in Inception that I find more, I'm more interested in than maybe than the action these days. But I mean, my answer is Inception because it's, he, he made the dark Knight and then Inception. And like, those are my two favorite of his movies, but yeah. Um, yeah. Cameron. I, no, I, I kind of agree with you in terms of, I don't know why uh, Dunkirk isn't on this list. Cause I, for me, I think, I think it's it's grown to be one of my absolute favorites of his. And I think, um, oh, yeah. you know, I think probably for me, I would put Dark Knight and then Dunkirk as second and then Inception as third for me. Well, I mean, that's just a, a staggering list to have. So it's weird to say what's the peak Nolan because I don't know, you know, maybe we're not in it. Maybe we're yeah. we're still there. I want to be hopeful. You know, I know Tenet was just a you know little dip uh, for me, but but we can we could get back on. You know, we're we're on a train and it's taking us somewhere. We don't know where, but <laughs> <laughs> we don't know where it's going. Yeah. Well, all of you sure. guys are wrong because obviously the Dark Knight Rises is peak Nolan. All right, <laughs> honestly, I just, honestly, I, I, right. I don't even know why. Like I'm looking at the list. You're gonna hate me for this. But if I had to watch one tonight, it'd probably be Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> I, I don't which, blame you. Which one is of the most fun crazy. movies ever made. And, uh, Interstellar is one of those movies that I'll avoid like the plague, even though, even though I'm like, it's a fantastic movie. I loved it. The the viewing, or I think it was my second viewing. I just, I loved it. Um, and Pretty then, hardcore though. Pretty emotional and cerebral. Yeah. Dark Knight Rises is, is fun. You know, it's yeah. fun in a different way. Big commitment. The Dark Knight, I yeah like I I'll watch it I've seen it a lot though and I'm like I just I don't know like it's one of those movies that when it's the right time I'll watch it and I'm always surprised by it I'm always way more surprised I'm like, oh what that was an incredible movie you know like I couldn't believe how much better it was on this viewing that's what always happens with that one uh, Inception I just haven't revisited up until now and it was good um and I, I, I feel like I really appreciate a lot about it that I didn't know about before. But why did it take me so long to revisit? I don't know. The Dark Knight Rises, that's my, that's my just steady as she goes every year. You know, kind of I don't understand that. because that, that movie is like absurdly long. Like I don't, I don't know it's, how that's the one you're going to. It's gonna... the shortest two hour and 45 minute movie ever though. <laughs> Like it's so, it goes by so fast. It does not feel long at all. It's so, it's so delightful. I agree. Actually, I don't know if I ever knew it was almost three hours. Yeah, it's two two forty five. It's wow. shocking. It, like it's 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 shockingly long. And well, now I'm gonna avoid it. But I wouldn't have known that. I could have swore it was like you know <laughs> an hour and fifty minutes. You know. No, it's like when I used to watch The Sound of Music when I was a kid, and then I only realized when I was like twenty that it's almost three hours long i was like what but 
Yeah, I know it's 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 wonderful. I mean, right, I will I'm just, say uh, I, I'm being dumb. I'm being dumb. I, th- I I think I think if there is one that is is easy to revisit, it is probably Inception. Like I think mm-hmm. I think there's no doubt about it. Um, in terms of of just you know fun length, um, interesting. I I think I think Dark Knight probably is the the movie that I've seen of his the most. Um, though I will say prestige might be up there too, just in terms yeah. of being yeah. a shorter movie and being, um, so fun, so interesting, so different for his catalog. It's not very action oriented, but very, um, thrilling and, a, you know, just an awesome one to put down. And that's one where if I, if I start, I'll, I'll finish, you know, there's no doubt about it. If I, if I put it on, it's, it's, you know, it's, we're going to the end. I feel like it's like a gothic thriller. Yeah. There's oh, yeah. Something definitely. about it that's just very. This last viewing, I was just. It was like there's like a horror or like a dread to this movie. Oh yeah, definitely. Very much yeah. so. Palpable. Yeah. Maybe that's cool. why I like it so much. Maybe that's why it's it's one of my faves of his. Um, just because it, it is, is probably so dark. his most. Yeah, is it his most like like haunting dark movie? It, it might. Yeah, be, I think it is. I think it is for sure. Is, All yeah, right, he's. Tim, I'm going to skip your second question. This is a stupid question. Oh, just, yeah, read, we'll just read it really quick. It doesn't even what? make sense. It doesn't well, even make sense. Just tell me what it is. I want to hear. Di- did DiCaprio have to do this movie? He's already <laughs> cemented himself as one of the great actors yeah, of Yeah, because he wanted to work dumb. with one of the greatest directors ever. All right, well, go that's on. Next question. question. Yeah, that is a dumb question. Right, sorry, Tim. <laughs> he, His final he question. He wanted to. He wanted Shifting to. the conversation to Nolan as a whole, we can, I mean... Before I read this question, let's get let's get final thoughts on Inception. Anything we missed? Anything we wanna we wanna cover on it? Let's give it some ratings, recommendations. Of course, go watch this movie if you haven't seen it. Watch it again if you've already seen it. I mean, there's more to get out of it, Cameron. Yeah, that that's what I would say. Is it's taken me a long time to revisit it. Um, in terms of, um, you know, just putting it on, but I was just I was so delighted at how much fun it was and even what you know watching it with tim uh badgering me um you know sorry tim um but uh <laughs> in terms of just having it uh every every 10 minutes we were like man isn't this awesome like isn't this isn't this such a great scene isn't this such a great set piece like oh man that was sick you know when they they go in slow motion and you know they everything's lining up and they have to like you know it's just it's just cool you know there's there's so much so so many interesting things about it and i i will say it is uh perfectly accessible for for people and you were you were talking about how um the first like five minutes you were like oh my goodness what is what is happening like there's so much going on i like i don't know where i am and i kind of like that in this movie where i don't like that in tenet um because in this movie it actually explains it in like this the the following scene, <laughs> you know, like they it goes through it, it. They explain it if you say so. Um, <laughs> I, I I actually will say the beginning of this movie is kind of bad. I kind of thought that wrong. You're wrong. Get out of here. I, I was like, I was like, what is this? And then once they do the dream within a dream at the beginning, I was like, okay, this is pretty cool again. But like, I had I was so lost at the beginning. Uh, you mean the, I, are you talking about like the first like minute with the old man? Yeah, yeah, with the, the old man, man and then they're going back in time, but it's the same place, and so it kind of yes. is a weird. 
it the continuity it's you're not really just a little tease sharing. of where it's where it's no, going to go. I agree. I I agree. I think it works in this movie where it it doesn't intend it. And but then when you get to the end, you go, oh, that's what that was. See, I and see. that's what happened. That's what happened yeah. to Isaac. He said, oh, that's the old man. <laughs> yeah, that's Nolan likes to do these, like, like gives you something and then it, like, pays off. You know, there's so many great, like, lines in this movie where people say stuff and then they say it later in the movie. You'll become an old man filled with regret. You know, they keep repeating stuff. Love that stuff. Love it. Take a leap of He's faith. He's the man. You know? Yeah. yeah. Take a leap of faith, yes. Yeah. The beginning reminded me of Tenet. I so, don't yeah, I, I don't I agree. Think so. <laughs> I don't agree, but well, I mean, in the sense that both are awesome. The beginning of Tenet is unbelievably great. So I, I don't know what, I like I like the beginning of Tenet. The I, I like yeah, the beginning of Tenet. So it's fantastic. I'm but I'm gonna see that uh, tomorrow, actually, in, in 70 millimeter. It's gonna be what? sick. Why? I can watch that movie again. Hell yeah. In fact, th- if you guys want to come, yeah, yeah. The I think opening I might have till, like the train track scene was pretty awesome. And then like when he's all of a sudden the windmill it makes no sense. Uh, that's the kind of what? movie. What? I, what? 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 <laughs> the movie, I don't I barely remember it, but I feel like it's one of those movies oh, that oh, I Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about Inception. Tenet and the windmill. Yeah, okay. it, I know it's yeah, windmill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that movie you just have to shut off your brain for Tenet, and I kind of love it for that. So um but it was enjoyable. Disagree. Chuzo, that, final that's thoughts. why this movie, you don't have to shut off your brain. You can keep your brain engaged and it still works the whole time. Right, you've had your piece, Cameron. You've had your piece. <laughs> Chuzo. Yeah, I mean, Tenet doesn't resonate in the same emotional way. I still think it's no, a no, lot of fun Juzo, and it's Juzo, cool. your thoughts on Inception. Your final <laughs> thoughts on Inception. Okay, I'm just, giving, I'm just trying to make it clear in case we don't talk about Tenet. Um, no, it's, uh, what else can I say? It's great. I mean, we haven't talked about some of the individual scenes or aspects of that movie but um i mean i just can't believe how you keep all that like that finale where everything is cascading and also also to to um from an editing standpoint going from the emotional drama of mal and cobb and their conversation in that room to then tom hardy to then gordon levitt like blowing up the elevator um like totally those things shouldn't work together but i think i think one thing that that brings everything together is the score and and i think zimmer is really kind of like the secret sauce of the whole movie i mean it's funny how that yeah. ending i think of this ending as like the most moving thing ever and then i've seen it so many times this is kind of one of the caveats of rewatchability sometimes you see something so many times you kind of ring out the movie a little bit and it's like it doesn't quite work on you maybe the way it used to but I'm looking at the end, and I'm like, this is just a guy walking through an airport. But with that music, it's like the most profound thing ever put on screen in the history of cinema. Um, and that whole, the way he weaves all those, he, at least Smith, the editor, weaving all those things together. It's funny, I was thinking about how um, it's a little like what they tried to do with everything everywhere all at once. Like they, they were, I, I kind of realized this probably is one of the inspirations of trying to kind of have, do an action movie, but have an emotional drama at the same time. And as we saw with that, I mean, I know a lot of people liked it, but in, in that movie, it doesn't quite pull it off and it's a hard thing to make work. And I think in this movie, it really, it really does. And um, yeah, just it's just everyone firing on all cylinders. Leo is great. I mean, it's not his, He's not like as virtuosic as Wolf of Wall Street or Once Upon a Time, but he's just wonderful. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, 
it's 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 fantastic. Uh, you absolutely should watch it if you haven't. Though we've spoiled the whole thing, but yeah. No, I don't think we've spoiled it enough. Actually, I think this episode, if you have seen this movie, and I, I feel like you're you're gonna be be sparked to watch it again. There's so much we didn't get it. We didn't get into. I mean, that, just that, just rewatch it for the Mombasa scene. I mean, I, I was thinking about that. We didn't even t- touch on that. The the moment where he's like squeezing through those walls, like man, what, yeah, what a so weird cool. action set piece that is also kind of plays into like what is reality, anyways. I, like I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, they stole this scene from The Incredibles. You know, it's just rip off. Scene <laughs> <of> the <Incredibles>. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, um, that's funny but, that scene because it seems when you see the trailer for the movie, which by the way, one of the great trailers ever. Uh, it seems like that's a dream where he's being crushed like in The Incredibles and then you see it in the movie it's actually quote unquote reality um, so that's kind of interesting yeah by the way yeah, the tagline of this movie in the... oh go ahead uh, like that, just to touch on the Mombasa scene it's also interesting he's in a place where there's a bunch of people randomly chasing him you know mm-hmm. like I don't know there's like that, yeah, that scene like added a whole new layer and uh, Mal doesn't Mal reference it as well, at some point yeah, later says, in the movie, yeah, chased by anonymous corporations, you know, just admit it. You, you know, you don't even know what is reality anymore. She says something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. Um, go ahead, Cameron. You were going to say something. No, I was. I was going to say exactly that. You know, there's there's these little hints about his his you know fading reality and about you know whether or not he's he's uh you know stuck in in the fifth layer of the dream or not you know and it is it is interesting um you know that scene especially because it feels feels so out of place and a little bit like um things are just happening and and you kind of don't don't necessarily understand why um and it's it's a little it's it's very interesting to put it into that perspective and to and to you know that's one of those little hints about like the the nuggets that you take away from like oh is he still is he still in the dream is he you know blah 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 um, I think it's great I I love that that's the world building I'm talking about you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right so Oppenheimer comes out this weekend this coming weekend mm-hmm. Tim Smith closes the conversation by saying this. What are the consequences if Oppenheimer fails at the box office? I guess predictions or thoughts or I don't even know. I, really, really uh, like I don't. That. I think he's. It will okay. He's saying if it fails, like if it's a huge bomb. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't think it. I don't. I think Nolan's like too. It's like Spielberg, where he's like too. I think he's too big for like one bomb to kill him at this point. Um, yeah, but. no, I I agree though. Um, I was trying to look up. Oh, it's Universal. Um, no, I I think I think for one, I think this is going to be kind of a standout success. I think Oppenheimer is going to do really well. Um, but it, in terms of if it if it falls flat or if it if it fails. Um, I you know, it's weird to say this, but I think that risk was probably baked in in some ways, being an R-rated, but three-hour biopic. Um, yeah, about a I, very know, depressing subject too. I mean, yeah, you have you well, you can go see a Tom Cruise movie and then a Barbie movie also in theaters this weekend. So I I feel like it's not going to be a it's not going to be even an Inception level success, let alone a Dark Knight level success. But sorry, camera, what were you saying? Well, I, well, I mean, 
with that, I I just don't think I don't think that's really as much as you know one hundred and eighty million dollars or whatever is uh, um is an outstanding budget for an R rated movie. Um, I think they're kind of they are kind of gambling with the subject matter and with the um w- you know with with the length and uh, but I think they're they're banking on some um some good tides um and I really. I don't think it's going to fail. I think it's going to do pretty and well. And also name. So. I mean, like he, his yeah. name is one of the few that carries a actual draw to people. people he's, he's one of only, you know, half a dozen directors who is a household name for even the most casual uh, film goer. So I think, you know, if, if this was by Joe Wright or you know, let alone like Morton Tildum or something, making a movie about Oppenheimer, uh, they, this would not be a big movie by any stretch, it would be like a little movie that plays in your art house for you know three weeks and then goes to VOD. Um, but Nolan carries a lot of um, I don't know. Even well, first of all, I don't know a single person in my life who isn't interested in this movie. I don't think that's true right, of any exactly. other movie this year. You know, it it seems yeah. to transcend male, female, older people, younger people. Um, it seems to be hitting a lot of different areas of interest from ranging from uh, people who are interested in the history to people who are just want to see another exciting Christopher Nolan movie. And then also people who are fans of, you know, Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. and Matt Damon and what have you. Um, and Florence Pugh, actually, there's a lot of famous people in the cast. Um, so I think it's, my prediction is my prediction is it will do it'll do like nope level of you know like you know how nope was kind of like not a bomb but it wasn't a success it was kind of like mm-hmm. right in the middle you know and it wasn't like uh, his other movies i think it's going to be on that level where it's not you know unbelievable but i, th- I think it's going to be fine and and he, and yeah even if it makes 2 dollars what you know christopher nolan he's just going to turn around and do something else i don't know i think no he'll, and he'll i be okay. i think um yeah, what you said is is true, and also I will say, um, they have had a very viral marketing campaign, which is uh, you know good good news in terms of of you know probably success. And I would say, even regardless of of the you know maybe potentially accidental stuff online, um, the the actual trailers I think were really well done, and the. Uh, you know, they put up posters at the Metreon, you know, that had the countdown and stuff like that. You know, they, there's just there's good good stuff in in terms of of what they're doing with the marketing. So, I, you know, I think I think they know that this is a weird movie that might not have done so well if not for Nolan. Um, and I think they're they're pushing it in that way. I, I just don't I don't see this being a bomb. I really don't. I, I also think uh, the Barbie thing in some ways helps the movie because people are yeah, kind of absolutely. have heard about it because of this kind of viral maybe a little bit silly, a little bit annoying thing, but it has I think gotten people's uh, piqued people's interest at least a little bit and uh, you know, there's sort of something funny about seeing these two very different movies on the same day. I think a lot of people are sort of enjoying that kind of um that sort of humor about it. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I don't have any real concerns, but I don't know. What do I know? Yeah. All right. I want to close out the show with this final conversation. As we were talking about Oppenheimer, uh, and Christopher Nolan, let's just go even wider. 
to the movie industry in the summer. We got Juzo here. Cameron, is that okay if we go a little bit longer? Sure. Sure. We went right. longer on Insomnia, that's for sure. Summer blockbusters of 2023. I'm looking at the gross totals. Uh, the state of the movie industry is seems to be a point of conversation online right now. You know, we're kind of away from the uh the the lingering covid effects of the theater and it seems like all the studios are coming out with hard hitters um this summer trying to trying to get people back out there um what do you guys think is winning the box office right now just off the top of your head i i'm sure maybe you guys know actually it's probably uh, mission impossible oh do you mean of the whole year or do you mean just of the last just few months just currently just currently of the year right now yeah it's pr- it's probably mission impossible I guess it's Mission Impossible. Is it some like? Is it like Sound of Freedom? Is this what you're gonna say, Isaac? No, no, no. no. Oh, okay. Number one is Spider-Man Across the Spider Verse right now. Mm. Oh, okay. And also, also Mission Impossible came out this last weekend. So guys, calm down. Well, right? just in terms of trend, I don't know how we're categorizing what's what's topping. I'm just talking Are about gross. Take- Got it. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. We're we're just talking about gross. I mean, right. Super Mario Brothers is the number one of the whole year. That's the biggest yes. box yes. office film. Um, but yeah, Spider-Man, I guess that makes sense because that's sort of, um, I don't know, did Guardians not do very well? I, 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 Gar- like, Guardians I is number two. Well. Guardians is number okay. two right now. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of confused about the Super Mario Brothers movie because it's weird. There's like gross for domestic box office. That's what I'm looking at, 2023. But then there's total gross. And then for some reason way of water jumps up but it came out last year so i'm kind of i i'm just going off the gross yeah way of water came out very late last year so i think there's a lot of stuff that's scooping in in january february do you want me to go by total gross right now just for the year just across it we'll do that of the whole year yeah because then it would be way of water well it'd be total gross for the movie for some reason way of water is included in this super mario Bros. movie right after that Spider-Man Across the, the Spider-Verse and Guardians um, right after that. And then Little Mermaid, actually, uh, which is which is uh, some, mm, yeah, those uh, uh, kind of surprising. Well. But, um, yeah, it's just it's just interesting um, to look at that. Uh, next few on on the gross would be Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I'm surprised to see on here. Total gross. 214 million. Uh, then John Wick Chapter 4, which I did see in theaters. Creed 3, which I feel like has been advertised to me for like four years. I don't even know how that movie wasn't out yet. Um, Have we then, not gone to The Flash yet? Have you said The Flash no, yet? No, no, The Flash wow. is not. Wow. No, the, fla- Transform- the Flash is, is bombing really hard. It's a bomb. Yeah. Transformers nice. Rise of the Beast at 152 million. Fast X, 145. Indiana Jones, Dial of Destiny. 145 elemental 125 the flash 106 uh, and then dungeons and dragons sound of freedom mission impossible but that just came out um there's an evil dead movie that came out this year yeah yeah oh. um so how do you think how do you think hollywood is doing uh this this summer i mean are are theaters well, back no but it's too early no, to it's say not great. Um, but yeah, no, the numbers are not, are not so good. Um, I don't even get the sense that, oh, go ahead. In in terms of Spider-Man, you know, like, well, I'm seeing 
you know, not 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 more than four hundred million, and that's the number two movie of the year. That's not so good. Um, yeah, Spider Man is three uh, three hundred sixty eight million. Yeah, so that yeah, I I don't think I don't think we've had a standout hit though. It, you know, to be fair, um, we're early into summer, and and I think there's still there's still room. Um, but I mean, yeah, no, it's it's not looking so good right now. <laughs> no, it doesn't wise. read like Mission is going to be the Tom Cruise, like billion plus whatever success that Maverick was last year. Like it just doesn't seem like it's catching on, and also just doesn't seem like people are quite in love with it the same way. Even though I think most mm. people like it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's it's not it's not great. I don't think. I think increasingly it feels like there's a lot of these movies that are being made for like way too much money let alone the movies that are and tv shows that are being made for streaming for two hundred dollars and then they just go to streaming like i can't understand how that's at all fiscally responsible but um 200 million you mean not 200 (laughs) dollars i think i oh did i say i meant 200 million um but i think I mean, uh, it feels a little bit like, yeah, I mean, Elemental actually, it was weird. That movie was like, the story was it was Pixar's biggest bomb. Now it's actually like a pretty decent success and it actually is kind of this weird, uh, very slow rolling sleeper success. Um, but there is a little bit of a sense with Pixar with with um, and just, you know, superhero movies, all this sort of thing where it it feels a little like we're in the that period in the late sixties where it's like you had all these old fashioned kind of musicals that were, you know, really successful. And then you had like Dr. Doolittle and then people were just like, people are losing interest in this sort of movie. And then it's like movies kind of downscaled and the, the big movies became, um, because the really the most profitable kind of movie right now are, is, uh, horror films and movies that are made for, you know, whatever, $5 million and they have some, you know, success of whatever, 75 million, but it's, it's a success because it's, they're made so cheaply. Um, but I, I'm not sure if this, I don't know. I'm not sure if this means that the industry is going to, it's going to become like the early seventies or it's just going to be become nothing because the things people are interested in and, and the things that entertain people very frequently now are not movies at all. Um, so I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't want to like act like I'm like, oh, we're on the brink of the new Scorsese, Bogdanovich, Friedkin period. We might just be on the, it, may, it might be like Heaven's Gate and it becomes the 1980s, um, which, but, but, you know, worse than that. Because the 1980s were actually, in terms of movies, not so bad compared to now. Um, so I'm not, whatever, I'm not optimistic, though, whatever the case, I am enjoying the summer as it's playing out just for the movies themselves, because I don't. At the end of the day, I don't care about the box office of it. Does like does means nothing to me, um, so I'm just happy that you know some of my favorite guys are turning out some good movies, and um, and there's going to be a few more with uh, you know Nolan coming up. So uh, yeah, I'll take what I can get. Cameron, any thoughts on the current box office? Uh, no, I mean just the numbers have not bounced back. Um, I think maybe last year um, we saw a you know, a couple movies that, that did really well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think everything is in shambles right now and I think it's only going to get worse with the, uh, the, the st- ongoing strikes 
um you know so that oh, you know yeah, we're going right. to we're going to basically have a covid situation next year where we get just you know five movies in total through the whole year you know so or maybe in two years but it's going to affect things uh you know going from from here um and you know it's it's uh yeah it's it's not i'm not so hopeful <laughs> but yeah, hopeful for this year for sure cuz i think i think this is the year that like all the covid delay movies are, and everything should be you know kind of finalized by now um and and i you know so i think i think that's a good sign for that but you know it's it's not looking up from there yeah juzo i really like your analysis of down like the way that the industry will probably downsize it's just interesting or 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 do smaller budget films to consider the current strikes at the moment if they're going to lower budgets for production um they're probably going to be asking more of people that now you know they they want more money for their work and i feel like the industry is just going to continue to get smaller and smaller um as they try to survive this sort of wave of the financial burden i'm not i'm not really sure if they can't knock stuff out of the park at the theater like what are the new sources of of revenue and and i was actually talking um to my father-in-law who's in sort of like some of the stream pitching stuff and and getting Hmm. into like the conversation around the residuals and and how um streaming provides like a really easy way out to just like cash out on a movie that is very uncertain. Um, especially if, you know, you try a theatrical release and then a lot of people are doing the double thing where they're like, they'll sell it and try to do uh, the theatrical release to, to maximize income, but it's a risky play either way. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's just interesting. I never, I never thought about Hollywood. Um, downscaling in seasons but it seems like just from the conversation around the numbers now and the ideas around strikes like um the the industry is probably going to have to get smaller for a period the only follow-up question i have for you experts is when was a good period to reflect on like those smaller like when when the industry has gone through a, a like a downscale before and Juzo, I know you mentioned some, and I guess is there is are there good things that can come out of the industry when when they kind of scale it back? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the seventies is the probably the right, Cameron. When you say that's the biggest example of that, right? Um, well, it's like it's basically post sixty five, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like nineteen sixty seven, I should say, more around that period. Um, I guess you could say maybe earlier than that. There's some of the stuff where it's not. It's not like it. The big movies are phased away, but it's like you start to see smaller, more interesting movies, like film noir. You know, like lower budget stuff that often is a lot more interesting than the the big costume epics. Um, but the s- late '60s is definitely the quintessential period for that, where you had people like Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, um, William Friedkin, all these guys who are making. Um, smaller movies movies that and but not only smaller movies but also like movies that tapped into like what young people and what like the culture was actually interested in there were you know i think feel like sound of music kind of was like the last gasp of a a very old-fashioned type of movie that um the audience for which is kind of dying off that's kind of funny because now i think these days there is you know people who are interested in those kind of big musicals and what have you but um 
movies like whatever the godfather or taxi driver mean streets all these um the french connection chinatown these are movies and, and earlier than that the graduate bonnie and clyde um these are movies that uh, sm- were smaller grittier they kind of they they were inspired by the french new wave they're kind of a new style of movies and they um were successful because i think they they were more of a reflection of some of the things are going, you know, like the Vietnam War and things that were not being addressed by the older fashion kind of movies. Um, but again, as I was saying earlier, I don't know if that's going to happen now because, like, a movie like The Graduate, that was a big successful movie. I don't know if there are really, are there examples of smaller movies other than horror movies that are, you know, it's it's not like movies that are that are made for younger people or whatever are really tapping because younger people. I think about the late 60s is like movies are one of a very small number of entertainments that are available to you. Now, if you're younger and you're not interested in seeing whatever's in movie theaters, you could just, you know, scroll through whatever, uh, TikTok or YouTube. You could you could entertain yourself in a multitude of ways um, that were not available um, as sort of casual entertainment in the late 60s. So that's, that's part of why I'm not super like... Uh, like think it's like a one-to-one comparison but yeah i don't know no I, we could only I, hope i mean it would be cool if it's like yeah ari Aster. like everyone everyone starts coming to trader schultz movies and ari aster and all these guys uh, i think jordan peele is kind of an example of that like he feels like he like a kind of a n- newer voice people are interested in but kind of feels like the exception because he's kind of the only one who's a big i mean not people were not gonna see going out to see bo is afraid you know what i mean so yeah, no. I mean, to me, I I really do. Um, I think I think things are going to move into this sort of streaming, and into the um, the maybe miniseries realm. I just don't. I don't know that the talent is going to stay with um, with with features as it you know as it did in in the sixties when when the studios collapsed. I just don't. I don't see that happening. Um, and at the same time, I don't really even see, um, I see the theaters taking the brunt of the shock right now. I don't see the studios necessarily taking it. Maybe they are, but I just, my guess is that theaters are going to go away a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, studios are going to, they already have a a streaming uh, service. So, Yeah. Well, I think we'll save the theater conversation for another episode. Although Cameron and I were talking about opening our our own theater, right, Cameron? We we're gonna Not do gonna it. Happen? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess uh, we'll save it for another episode. Thank you guys for listening, Juzo. Thank you for joining us this episode. We try to post every Tuesday. Make sure to tune in next week for our Oppenheimer review, closing out conversation around nolan although i want to watch dark knight rises let me let me sit in disappointment when i revisit it and realize it's over two hours long and question why i considered it his best all right but (laughs) until until next week guys appreciate you guys listening to the end um, and we'll see you then cinema spectator is an ecfs productions podcast that is fully funded on patreon.com 
Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.